Neves Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution. Welcome to The Parent Show on Radio Verlum 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Curry. Now, education is constantly changing and um, has done a lot since um, most parents were at school. And this week on The Parents Show, we're taking a few topics within education and um, we're seeing how they are faring in the world of education today. And we'd also like to look into the future, maybe even the 22nd century. To help us explore this subject, we're speaking to Ed Balfour, who's the headmaster at Beechwood Park School in Markgate, and David Bullock, who's the deputy head at Verulam School in St. Albans. We'll be looking at specific themes of well-being, technology, parents, how it is now and in the future. And as we, as we often like to do, we have a young person in the studio with us tonight. So we have a 13-year-old pupil from Beechwood, David Hammond, and we're asking him to share his experiences of education as he um, lives that daily. We're then uh, planning to talk to Dr. Rachel Brown. Rachel's an independent clinical psychologist, and she's also the founder of Rise and Shine. It's a local company that provides mindfulness to parents of children of all ages. So we want to speak to Rachel about um, why she's bringing mindfulness to parents. Great. So first up, let's talk to our two guests in the studio. We've got Ed Balfour, who's headmaster at Beechwood Park. Hello, Ed. Hello, how are you? Lovely to see you here this evening. And we've got David Bullock, who's the deputy head of Verulam School. Hi, David. Hi, Lydia. You're not new to the parents show. Old hand. Old hand, indeed, <laughs> indeed. So I'll, I'll start off with you, Ed. Now, ed education is changing massively and has changed since you went to school, I suppose, as well. Let's look at the few possible areas. Let's look at well-being. Do you think well-being has, has changed as an issue for students nowadays? I think it is. I think uh, well, well-being lies at the centre of everything that we do and um, certainly at Beechwood Park, uh, well-being is right at the centre of, um, of the education that we offer. Our belief is that um, without a child being um, happy uh, and enjoying the experience of being in school, it's uh, very difficult to encourage them to engage, uh, to build confidence and independence in them, and then to build those critical skills that we're trying to nurture in them in preparation for future life, future schools. And it's, it's a relatively new wor word in the world of education. Well, certainly for parents, suddenly everybody's talking about well-being, because when we were at school... I don't think too many teachers are worried about your well-being. They were more worried about you doing your homework. But um, and do, is it is it new to education as it is to parents? I think it is new to, to, to education. I think we've got a, a sense now that um, uh, teachers and schools are much more aware, partly through the safeguarding uh, agenda, partly through uh, increased focus on health and safety, um, plus emotional well-being as well, that um, this lies at the core of everything that we do as schools currently. It's about making sure that that firm foundation is in place with all children, whatever their age is, uh, in order to be able to enable them and to be able to coach them towards success. It's, I think it's probably a great relief for parents that schools like yours talk like that because, because if children aren't happy, they're, they're not going to learn. And, and no grade is worth unhappiness, is it? Really? No, it's not. And ultimately, you're trying to prepare children uh, for the future flourishing of humanity. You're hoping that they're going to move on into their future schools and uh, on into their future lives, being positive, kind members of a community, ones who will be good citizens and who will support others. That's a, that sounds fantastic. I love the future 
that future flourishes. Well, so I've, I, I've lost the train of it. But um, that was great. David, what, what's your thoughts on well-being nowadays? Um, it's quite interesting listening to what he said there. 100% agree. Um, if you look back from 2003, the government brought out the ECM agenda, that every child matters, which I'm sure your parents are aware of. But that did make a sort of a critical shift in the way schools approach it. So... You know, I'm sure your parents know and patronise you, but but safe, healthy, enjoy and achieve, make a positive contribution, achieve economic well-being. Those are key fundamentals. And and what schools do now is they explicitly look at those areas and have done since that came out. And that is then a focus for them to work on. Obviously, prior sort of Ofsted would actually look at those things. That sort of shifted a little bit now, and it's not so important. But then if I think back to the people I know, I'm sure your parents, you know, you've, you've always remember phrases like school days are the best days of your life. So therefore, we always look back on school as a happy time and we remember the really things we enjoyed and that's certainly a thing we promote at Verulam and I'm, I'm sure the same at Beechwood about trying to make sure that you enjoy coming to school. That is the most important thing. If you enjoy coming to school, enjoy learning, enjoy your lessons, you're more likely to be successful um, and therefore you're more likely to be, to do well in all the other things which tests on i saw a brilliant article on, on twitter you and i know we love a bit of twitter yeah. there was a great thing where there was a letter written from a primary head teacher in the fact that they only test little things sats for example they only test this they don't t- teach you know and, and tr- anything else um and they don't test things like trust and friendship and relationships and enjoyment and you know all those sort of independence reliability all those sort of things which are fundamentally important they just test this so i have a son who's just done his, his sats and i said to him well just enjoy it do the best you can and whatever happens, happens. You know, don't get too stressed about it because there's more important things to worry about than that. Um, and, you know, if we think about that, that certainly, you know, is, is the key aspect for schools looking at well-being, but just making sure that students enjoy coming to school and, and all the provision that we put in place is to enable that. It's great to hear that. Sorry, Ed. And there are also independent schools that have specifically put this agenda right at the centre of their curriculum. Um, it was started off uh, very early on with um, Wellington College, uh, which um, started teaching happiness, the Anthony Selden initiative on that side of things, um, and a growing initiative that sprung out of um, Tunbridge School about, we're going to talk about it a little bit later on, but teaching of, of mindfulness and teaching children to be able to stop and to be able to think about their lives in the present rather than constantly searching and yearning for what takes place in the future. And I mean, that is, it's so wonderful for parents to hear your ethos, both of you, and, and how that carries through into the classroom. Is, is, it, is it possible to implement that in the classroom in its fullest form? Do you find, David? Well, absolutely. But if you look at any sort of criteria for lesson observations, it's about inspiring children. If you're, if you're trying to be an outstanding school or lessons are supposed to be, it's about inspiring. And I, I think back, actually, I'll give an example. Um, I was talking to a chap at my school who, who runs our IT department, and we both went to the same school, and he talked about a PE teacher. And I, and I remembered him, and he looked him up on the internet, and he's now a financial consultant in Watford. And so I sent him an email, the reason being because I did a, a sort of presentation to trainees about what inspired me to be a teacher, and it was a teacher. It was, there was a PE teacher who inspired me to get involved. And for whatever reason, something about it, we connected, and there was a great ad campaign in the late 90s. No one forgets a good teacher. It was all black and white. It was brilliant. And it was the most successful ad campaign. And, and I, I sent him an email just randomly, uh, not thinking he'd remember me. And he sent me this wonderful email back, which, you know, and he sort of said, thank you, I, I met some wonderful people, and, you know, and thankfully I was one of them. And, and it, but he made a difference to me. Um, and I think that's, that's the key thing. And teachers, you know, we'll talk about it in a moment, but I don't know a, a teacher who doesn't want, enjoy teaching, who, who loves what they do, who's passionate about their subject, 
and, and fundamentally that's what you're trying to find and schools I would say we're fortunate around here that we're full of teachers like that um, that isn't the case in all schools sadly but in St Albans Harpenden you know we're full of teachers who love it love teaching love young people and, and make a massive difference to these people's lives and, and the more time that um young children can spend in the company of those passionate um, advocates of different areas whether it's the academic arena or the extracurricular arena the better as far as i'm concerned yeah if you ever look at john hattie visible learning he looked at all different aspects of, of what makes children successful and so on he said fundamentally it's the person stood at the front that that person can can change the way you view a subject. Now, at Verulam, we do a lot of work with the boys we have, and actually, it's trying to get them. If, if they're having difficulties, who's the teacher you really like? They can be your mentor. They can work with you, support. You know, I work with a few boys that we get on really well, and and they come and see me when they have a difficult time, and we chat, and then we resolve, it and they go back in, and and that's what teachers should do. That's what teachers do do, from my experience as well. And, and in schools these days, it's less of a kind of hierarchical structure of the gap between teachers and, and pupils, much more is the kind of opening up of a debate that takes place. And that's the exciting things in schools, is you can shape the kind of flavour and, and temperature of your community in relation to well-being uh, with pupils by... Uh, you know, opening up this philosophy of discussing these issues openly and in a de democratic way with your pupils, which is a very exciting way around, rather than top-down, a much more collaborative approach. And do you find that children, uh, because they are mostly children, um, know how to be respectful when there's no hierarchy? I think they do, yes. And I think this is a, a preparation in the end for a world they're going to move into in the future where those kind of hierarchical pyramidic structures have, have largely disappeared in businesses. And, um, you know, it requires much more uh, emphasis on communication and respect in the workplace and in relationships between people. But what, what no, you're... Certainly, I was oh, just going to say, add to that. You know, if we look back on our <laughs> school lives, it's probably very different then. You probably never spoke to their teacher unless you're being told off. Okay. Uh, you didn't have... Like, parents never spoke to teachers. You know, I have a very close relationship with lots of the, the parents. They email regularly, we meet Amazing. regularly, have lots of conversations. Obviously, sporting fixtures. I've had a chat to one of our parents tonight for half an hour after a cricket match. You know, really interesting. And I don't think that really existed, certainly when I was at school or when, you know, we, you were at school. And I think that's quite difficult for parents to understand. Actually, nowadays, you welcome that. That relationship is is important it's fundamental for the child's success that so that link between the three of us home school and, and the child is is very strong and then that enables them to be supported not just when they're doing badly but when they're doing well as well to be reinforced actually you've done really well really, we're really proud of you and by that i mean the school parents you know and they should be proud of themselves it's, but it's really I, important that's a dream scenario and i think i think so many parents want that and and yearn for that kind of thing and, and the parents show is all about that it's about understanding what a role is of parent and how we can work best with schools it's such an important topic on the show but uh, what, my what advice on that side is it is it's it's about making sure that that relationship that exists between parents and school is a is an utterly honest one that you know that um that parents raise concerns when they need to when there are issues that are troubling them it's about coming in and opening the debate up and um, finding solutions together that's very much the the atmosphere that's wonderful and it is so different to when when i was growing up as you said you didn't you only if you only saw the head teacher when you were in trouble but the, the roles you're describing for teachers 
it's not just about learning it's about being a therapist it's about being a psychologist it's about you know you're playing so many roles how can we expect teachers to take on all these extra responsibilities as well as teaching which is hard enough in itself you know and largely in my case it's about um, making sure you recruit and retain very inspirational highly qualified and experienced teachers who are going to be able to have that emotional intelligence to be able to transfer those skills and discuss those skills with the pupils as well I mean I'm a strong believer that if you want to encourage a growth mindset and mindfulness amongst your pupil body you've got to have a staff who exhibit the same uh, virtues and model it for your for exactly. the children of course i can i can completely imagine but it must it must be very hard i mean i i but see it, it's always been hard yeah teaching by nature is one of the most difficult sub jobs to do because of the, the breadth of things you need to know you said about counselor friend etc you know that is really important but but i think most teachers that you'll meet I'm sure from your experience as well, do a lot of those things without thinking. You know, we spend time with people when we don't need to. You give up free periods, you know, you, you stay after school for events, you, you might run fixtures. You know, all those things you do because that's the reason you became a teacher in the first place. To I, go on about it, but make a difference. You know, and it, making a difference isn't just in the classroom. It's, it's everything outside that, the wider profession. Um, and that goes, you know, even... When you're out in town, when you're at restaurants, when you're out, you know, there's a lot of in the, in the media, obviously, about teachers and about what when their job stops. But you know, see if you're active on social media, you know, if you're out on a night out, you know, you, it, all of those things are important. You are a really important person in society, and at times it is, it doesn't always feel like that. The way that you know the government portrays you, or, or even the pay that teachers get, or the conditions you work under, actually can make it really difficult. And that's why it's concerning that people are leaving the profession. And uh, as Ed said, the key is to recruit the best teachers that the people want to be a teacher for the same reasons, no doubt, we got into teaching in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do that, then, you know, the profession will be very strong moving forward. But, I mean, is it, because uh, I see in my, my son and daughter's own school, like we had celebration evening last night, though, I mean, the two teachers were probably in from, what, eight o'clock in the morning. We left them at a quarter to seven. You know, I mean, it's a really long day and they were full of energy, full on. I know they're not getting a great salary, you know, and I, I admire them so much for the limitless energy. And that's the way I, I see teachers. Like every teacher I've encountered in St. Albans, there's just limited, limitless energy. Get a week energy. off next week. Yeah, that's, that's okay. <laughs> a whole week, they'll be fine when they come <laughs> and back. And if you, if you read the media, teachers finish at 3.30 anyway, so oh. it's, you know, it's a breeze. I Which, and that isn't the case. No, that, you're right there about parents' evenings and those, the energy you bring, because ultimately that dictates how well that goes that that celebration evening was but it's, it's something to consider is the fact that that's your only celebration evening you know yeah they might have been at school every day but it's your only you want to celebrate your son's achievement your daughter's achievement and actually it's ours to make sure that's a good event you know for you because it's important to you and if you don't well get someone else to do it who who can bring the, the energy that needed you know but it, it is astounding to see it and time and time again i like i almost feel guilty it's like my god they don't get home till eight o'clock and but it's uh, a recognition i suppose also of the of the fact that the the whole landscape of education is constantly changing as the life around us is changing and education has to match life and keeping up with those changes in terms of um, of policy and structure and the various directives that come from various bodies is um it's a uh, all-consuming business and making sure that you know you can still keep your focus on uh, children and your your ed- your educational decisions are focused uh, on being very child-centered is um is very important as well it's very easy to get distracted but what i would say is that most of the parents probably here will have 21 days off a year 
know, that's just as hard. That job is, is, is really difficult. That's, you know, 21 days off a year. You know, I can't imagine what that's like. So although teaching-wise, you know, you do long hours and it is hard, you know, it's also different types of jobs. So it's, that is the job. And if you go into it with your eyes open, then you find that... Talking about well-being and student well-being, you know, I know we'll probably talk about it later, but staff well-being and, and how... And the perception of that and how that's catered for and how much you actually teach, how much time to plan, to mark, to give really good feedback to students they can improve. But we'll, we'll actually, talk about it later. I, well, I'd love to touch on uh, teachers' well-being now because how, how do they manage it all? Who takes care of the teachers? Is that kind of the administration? It's, it's too easy to say exactly. that your senior leadership to uh, take care of it, but all of us are responsible for each other. You know, we work together. We're at Verilum, we're a community. You know, we, we have events. We had a really successful Mills match recently where I had 30 staff playing football, had 65 students playing. You know, we had a 1,000 people come and watch. But the staff loved it. We were having training sessions and tactics and, and Twitter videos. And actually, things like that are really important because it brings people together and, and it's a really enjoyable event. We have the Abbey Service, which is a great event. And then afterwards, we all go out for... Um, a glass of coke afterwards you know which is really nice but but running events for people you know little things you know local schools making having tea and coffee available for staff you know the little things um giving them a nice area to relax in giving them good facilities to teaching those sort of basic fundamentals so that people enjoy coming to work and if you can do that you know end of term tomorrow you know just having tea and biscuits available for people at the end of term you know so feel nice we had a, a member of staff leave after 22 years retire we had a, a tea party on tuesday night and everyone came together, we had tea and biscuits and cake, and it, it was really nice. And more events like that, so we actually come together more and realise that we all work in the same school, you know. And it's also about giving uh, talented members of staff space to be able to develop their roles. We've got Shirley Heyman sitting <laughs> here at the moment, who's started off our, our brand new Woodlands Nursery. And, um, you know, she's... Uh, very experienced individual in terms of um, of nursery and looking after children at that age and getting the very best out of them and her staff as well and um, you know that's part and parcel of the of the heads role I suppose in many ways is to be able to give her the space and give her the opportunity to be able to shape that community in the way in which um, she knows best ultimately and, and that is getting more difficult as well with you know budget cuts um, you know, pressure on teachers, recruitment issues, they, that is all getting more difficult um, because trying to find the right teacher and then give them an environment they can do with a limited budget, you know, that's, that's really hard. And so it's a really tough job leading a school, I'm sure Ed will testify to that, and, and actually making sure that everyone is happy is the most important thing for a head teacher. Teaching and learning is the key. Mm. Making sure that your teachers can teach and, and the students enjoy coming to school, they're, they're your basics. Get those right. And well-being lies right at the heart of that. Yeah. And is there, does CPD, or like training for teachers, further training, ever include well-being issues as well for the teachers, or is it generally just about learning? Yeah, Beechwood, um, at the start of this term, we did a, a mindfulness presentation, came in from an outside prov provider, um, and um, it was talking about the idea of, you know, not being uh, caught up in what's about to take place and being able to take some time out, both as a teacher and also how to encourage children to be able to live a little bit more in the, in the present and to be able to recognise um, the things around them that are taking place in the here and now. Fantastic. We had, um, we were in a consortium, Verilum, with Beaumont and Sandringham at sixth form. And so, um, a couple of years ago, we, we had a, the last inset sort of between the three of us was a well-being inset. And you signed up to take part in like something, a fun activity. So, myself and a few staff from the rain schools played golf. 
that was our inset so we met down there 4 30 and there was i think 16 of us and we all played golf it was relatively competitive yeah. as you can imagine <laughs> um but there was also you know there was a knitting club went on there was squash there was badminton there was you know all manner of different events and staff actually then went and mixed with each other um, and it was it was fantastic, you know. And those sort of events are really important. I'm afraid that um, golf would not be very good for my well-being at all. So <laughs> <I'm not laughs> emotional well-being. Well, I, all I can hear when I hear both of you speak is like, do you actually get to see your families at any point? That's families, so you say? What's, what's that? <laughs> yeah, of course. I have a young family. I have two children. I have a ten-year-old and a nine-year-old. Um, and and your wife also teaches. My wife's a, yeah, as a does mine. Teacher, director, so, sport well, that- at, at Queenswood in, in Brooms Park. She works long hours, but um, I, I'm very lucky. I've my mum who helps me out. My sister helps me out, um, and you know, look after children, pick them up from school. Um, they actually, my mum actually has my children on a Tuesday night. They call it Tuesday Night Club. <laughs> children go there, and my wife and I go to the gym, and then go for dinner, and that's our night. And that's all those sort of things are important. But you've got to make sure that you, you invest quality time. Um, but on a Monday night, I don't have a meeting. I can get out early. I can pick the kids up. You know, it's you just have to all be organised. That, and I make it so you don't you prioritise everything. If that you sounds like such a great, a great idea. My mum is great if she's listening. She's awesome. <laughs> You're wonderful. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've started in this role in September, and prior to that, I was um, involved for 21 years in full boarding education, 24/7. So um, this um, this job actually is, is is very different and has a different rhythm to it, which does allow you to spend some quality time with your family at weekends, which is good. But it sounds like you have to be disciplined, like David, and really create a structure where you you kind of almost square off some time. With your family well, I, I still have time i still play football on a sunday for old owens i still you know invest time in that it's important emotional physical everything's aspects of that you know so it's just about getting a balance right between everything you do and that can be really difficult i'm sure ed probably as a head teacher is even more difficult than me as a deputy head but you know my son has said to me on occasion dad if you ever become a head teacher we'll never see you and i said well hopefully that won't be the case no, I, I won't pick that apart. Um, <laughs> no, when he's 15, he'll, he'll not want to see me. I appreciate that. That's it. You can do it for three years until he's 18 <laughs> and then he'll want you back again. You're correct. So let's move on to the next topic. We wanted to talk about computers and technology. Now, I know this, this is a whole... We could do a whole show on this alone. So tell us, how has... Uh, where, where is computer... Where is it going in the 21st century with computers and technology in, in education? What do you think, Ed? I think uh, technology and computers are live, you know, very, very central to what needs to take place in terms of education. It's it's all about the future. Um, to use an analogy, if you're um, on that first train that leaves the platform, that's fine in terms of your uh, computer facilities and also uh, the introduction of uh, computers and technology into the classroom. Uh, but there are schools, I think, that have not got on that first train and they're waiting for the second one um, and they will always be behind um, and we're very fortunate in that heavy investments taken place into the inf- infrastructure in the school uh, and that um, technology, as David will probably tell you a little bit later on, is um, embedded into our curriculum and is a really exciting facet, not just of computer studies lessons, but also of, um, of the school generally. Well, how about at Verulam, David? Um, yeah, I was thinking about the other day, if you think about it, in the last 20 years since, you know, the, uh, I appreciate the internet's been around since the 60s and then the 80s, sort of in academia and so on, but from about 95-ish, the internet sort of exploded and it's grown exponentially since then and now has become very much part of life. You know, you can find anything in a touch of a button. I think, interestingly, sort of examinations and curriculums and hasn't really reflected that. So if you think about it, we still pretty much work on a knowledge-based curriculum where you learn things and even now with the, the changes coming, it's a linear set of exams. It's at the end, we have a memory test 
fundamentally that's what it's become and so you've taken away a lot of the skills that, that are fundamentally important such as in english you know speaking and listening and so on coursework where you can actually improve you know your work and so the internet has changed the way that we teach that students learn and accessibility and i think you need to we need to see a shift in the way that that's then assessed because you have information but it's the application of that information which is the important thing you know i can i can do a first aid course but if someone has a heart attack i need to be able to do it not just be able to tell someone how to do it and so i think the interesting thing is that and obviously lots of schools have embraced that with bring your own device and, and all those sort of most of the students today especially in st albans will have a mobile device a phone or whatever and so it's actually managing and, and organize that change and i think the word i wrote down when i was looking at the question was just accessibility you know it's probably more accessible to to parents uh, in St Albans and students and actually I think that's probably a big scary thing for parents I'm sure you know social media accessibility to all those sort of access you can you know on the internet for example I can find anything um, but students do they know how to use it you know are they trained to use it effectively you know are they safe while they're online all those sort of things it's such a myriad of concerns that parents had and so it, it's bigger than just you know how we learn in school because you know you can use an iPad instead of a, a you know, a, a book, but fundamentally, until your assessments and your exams are on computer or so on, then nothing's really going to change. It just becomes a model of getting information. And, Ed, what, what, what are your thoughts? You're nodding. I'm, I, I, I'm assuming that you're agreeing with David. Well, it was particularly um, his comment about um, the, the idea of, of, of it becoming less knowledge-based, ultimately. I mean, there's a huge amount of data that's readily available out there on the internet. Um, it is about teaching children to access that data in a, in a meaningful way and also in a safe way. Uh, but it does put the emphasis much more onto how that data is synthesised into knowledge, um, how the... Uh, how we as schools can teach children the skills that ultimately are going to be able to uh, put them in, uh, stand them in good stead for the future in terms of their future education and, um, and future lives as well. So the computer, co computer revolution is there and it's knocking on the door and it's outside and, and schools do need, to, do need to keep up. They've got to keep up with that development that's taken place because the workplace equally has changed. Um, and you, you talked about safety and parents but actually safety um internet safety in school must be an even more tricky issue because it's actually slightly easier in school because you obviously you've got intranet so that can control websites you okay. access and so on that's not to say students don't work out how to do it yeah. you know they're pretty clever guys yeah but you you can have a net that sort of protects it and it protects them from what they can go on on websites and so on and i know for example local schools have you know a set of apps that they use in school and and, and for learning and so on and obviously we've embraced that with uh, caboodle which is a, a science lab and and there's all m manner of you know platforms you can access information on but i think it's interesting what you're saying about getting that access and making sure that the students know how to use it and then what to do with that information to, to get the best out of it fantastic um I can see the clock ticking and there's a lot of questions I want to ask you yet. We, we touched on parents, um, but this is obviously being the parents show, that the, the bit that we're, that's closest to our hearts. And it's wonderful what you were saying, Ed, you, or, and David, you were saying as well about it's, it's, there's three working in partnership together, the school, the parents and, and, the, and the student. Do you, do you have any advice for parents about drawing the line? And just because I think that would 
be the biggest worry is that parents just don't know when to step back and, and let their children be independent and and occasionally fail as well which is an, an, an interesting one isn't it because some um, parents instincts are to protect children at all at all costs to make sure that um, you know they are making their progress without um, tripping over at any point but um, it's a very difficult balance to strike isn't it when uh, you have the most precious thing in your lives um, who is um, out in a in a different environment and it's about striking the balance between what is appropriate uh, in terms of the helicopter helicoptering of parents you hear about in the media and equally parents who are a bit more distant and um, it's, it's, it's a case of, 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 of being able to judge carefully through discussion with the school as to when, uh, when each is appropriate. There are times when, uh, when children in various guises need more structure and more involvement from parents uh, and equally other times where they do need that sense of being able to uh, develop and explore an adventure on their own so it's a it's a tricky one from a parental point of view most of the problems you have in school in terms of certainly you know behavior wise is when that relationship between the three people in that has broken down when when a parent doesn't engage or when it doesn't follow through or support the schools or you know doesn't under the school don't understand the situation at home where that relationship is broken down and you know, you think about it, St Albans schools in Harpenden, you know, we've, I think we have about 97, 98% attendance and parents evening. So the parents in St Albans understand the value of it. What I'd say to you is the fact, if you, you only see the doctor, you only have one chance to see them, you'd go, wouldn't you? But the parents evenings, you only have one a year. And so, why wouldn't you go? But I've worked at schools where there were 30% attendance from parents and actually kids would come on their own. To parents evening and, and I'd be there sat in with a, a child going you know how do you think you're getting on now th that's that's the real situation which exists outside of this little bubble of, of Harpen and, and St Albans and you've got to try and understand that we're quite lucky in this area that parents do engage but but you want them to and I you know most of the schools and head teacher around here would encourage parents to get involved it's quite interesting when you have the difference between your seven and sixth form and actually parents think that a sixth form they don't have to do anymore and I would say that's not the case Year 7 is just as important as Year 12. Year 12 is a huge jump. You know, they need your support all the way through, you know, Year 11, currently Year 13, Year 12 doing exams. They need your help more than ever. Don't feel that you're ever too strict or pushing them too hard. They need your support all the time through school. It's a really tough journey. Um, and if the three of us are together on the same journey, it's more likely to be successful. That must be such a relief for parents to hear, hear that from, from you, David. Sorry, Ed, you were going to say something. And it's also about making sure that um, you know, schools have a critical role in making sure that parents are welcome in schools and that influence is actually going to be listened to as well. You know, there is an active role a school can play in making sure that parents, uh, for example, at Beechwood, can turn up first thing in the morning and have breakfast with their child first thing in the morning. Uh, they can come in and be a part of the parents' association. They can be involved with concerts and matches and various other things there. And that is to be encouraged. You know, it is a, a partnership that exists between the school and the parent as much as between the, the school and the child. That you've both mentioned that about actually having chats with parents at the side of a football pitch or, or at a match or a sports event. Like that's something that's so alien to me. I mean my children are a bit young yet but to imagine in secondary school that that's possible that's invaluable to parents mm. to have that kind of an informal chat just check everything's going you know okay primary school you'd have that all the time wouldn't you you'd see the teacher Infants. all the time it's it's quite interesting you don't really get that but like tonight there's a young man i've worked with who's um 
done brilliantly the last few weeks and tonight I was able to say to his dad he's had a really good few weeks the dad was really pleased but then he has a really good half term it's reinforced positively and, and that's because of relationship we build up you know that parent's happy to help me out do some coaching and you know all those sort of areas are really valuable that's what it should be we're, we're teachers we're not robots you know yeah. and, it, and it comes back again to that argument about emotional intelligence it comes back to that idea of being able to assess what the temperature of the mood is in the school on a particular day and you can only do that by being out and about in the school and engaging with uh, with all of the stakeholders within school and making sure that um you know everyone feels that they they are listened to and that, that, that ideas can circulate and um, a lot of the ideas that we've been talking about even today in some of our uh, senior management team meetings are ideas that actually have come through discussions with parents Fantastic. you know if you've got like a school pta join it if you, there's events running go to them you know get involved in the life of the school although your your son and daughter may go oh god mum, you're so embarrassing actually they secretly love it and you'll get a much better insight into what the school's like. You'll, you'll get build relationship with teachers, and actually it'll make life a lot easier for you because you'll be able to sort of, you know, pop in and, and be involved. You know, we have parents that volunteer to be lunchtime supervisors at ours. Um, we have the PTAs thriving. We raised £7,000 for the Mills match. You know, that's parents. We had a parent donate £500, just said, you know, thank you. You know, we have 2,000 people on our Facebook page, all those things. You know, you want to encourage that. You know, it's, it's really important to, to... And I don't know anyone that discourages that, if I'm honest. Uh, but, but there is a balance to be struck, yeah. isn't there? And there are times when actually parents shouldn't be in school. The times when perhaps uh, during assemblies where uh, more personal ideas are being formulated and being discussed uh, during form periods and obviously during the teaching part of the day when, I mean, safeguarding issues aside... Um, you know, children do have to have the space to be able to engage with each other uh, and to be able to engage with their teachers um, as, as individuals in their own right. Fantastic. Now, uh, I'm, unfortunately, we're running out of time and I really want to touch on the future. And, you know, there's the co a couple of thoughts that I'd love to know what you think about. How, how do you see things in the future like desks, books, classrooms, homework approaches to learning? Where, where is it going, do you think, Ed? So we have a really exciting kind of vision as to what we're doing. We are uh, technically a preparatory school and the question of course therefore is what are we preparing our children for and um, our vision is a very long-term vision. Our, our vision is that uh, you know these children who we're looking after at the moment are likely to live to 100 years old or more uh, which takes them out of the 21st century into the 22nd century uh, and therefore you know, knowing the amount of social change that's taken place over the last 40 or 50 years and the no nature of that change accelerating over that time, um, we kind of look forward into the future, trying to work out what the world is going to be like in those in, 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 uh, far into the future. And, of course, the answer is nobody knows. You can guess that it's going to be a much smaller global community. You can guess that um, technology is going to play an even more, more important part. But um, our view is that it's all about instilling the right kind of skills in children uh, and making sure that they are future-proofed. Fantastic. David? Future, I think. Future is got to make sure that we can secure teachers for the profession, most importantly. You know, if we're talking about, you know, 100 years. Interestingly, not much has changed in 100 years in terms of education. You look back, I've got a great image on my wall of 1908 swimming lesson, and it's pretty much <laughs> the same as it probably is now. And you've still got desks and chairs and so on, and there's always a role for that traditional approach. But there's no reason why, you know, you don't learn as much on a DOV course. There's no, you know, learn as much on a, a field trip or a trip to Olympic Park to see what's happened there, the conservation and so on. So I suppose what will happen is ev the evolution of education 
conversation will just continue it, it it always will it's you know it's quite interesting that we've gone on this cycle and we've come back to actually what we're doing you know two-year exams which is probably when we all the parents at school in the 80s you know and so it, it generally will evolve and it will it will do that forever that's that is what school is and it will just you know reflect society and and therefore will embrace technology of course um but then everyone's got to do that from the dfe all the way down to primary schools and houses and and parents fantastic um thank you gentlemen will you stay with us for another couple of minutes we, we want to now um, move on to our third guest this evening i mean it's been great lydia hasn't it to hear from teachers and i guess that's lovely for parents to hear that you know as david was saying they're not robots we're not robots but let's listen to somebody who has that service who takes that service from the other end so i want to introduce another david young david david hammond good evening david good evening um i wonder if you can share with us how you've seen your education change just in the time since you started at nursery when you were three and four and now you're 13 aren't you yes. yeah what kind of changes do you recognize have happened because you were talking to me about um like the use of computers in your education yes the technology provided has definitely um progressed since we i started at beechwood for example a new ipad bank has been given where pe teachers can book out ipads for us to learn from research and development has come from technology that we couldn't previously use which is really good because books can only take you to a certain extent because as soon as they're written they're going to be outdated again but the internet is changing all the time things can be updated so are, are you using computers daily in your education or do you have a set period you know how often do you use some kind of you know laptop or ipad i use them a few times a day but i usually write work because that as the technology improves the technology in schools will improve and we'll use it more so currently we don't use it an awful lot but it will come more into the world of education now something that concerns me david because i don't teach your age group is do you think you become less social because you're not talking to your peers and your friends because actually your heads are down looking at screens all the t you i know. don't think so because in break times we're not allowed computers and ipads oh, okay. so we have to still do all those things 100 years ago we'd usually do <laughs> like um, what what are you doing at break times um, we play football cricket and all those things we usually do right and education has definitely changed because even though we're using iPads to type stuff out, um, we still talk about stuff. Yeah. And we use Google Documents, which we can share it with other people. So instead of all hunching over a piece of paper, yeah. we all have our own access to it, which is comfortable. And we still talk about what we want to do, sitting next to each other, just like we would usually do, but just instead of writing it down writing on the computer yeah that sounds great because i'm sure there's a lot of parents out there that won't know what you're talking about when you talk about google documents but um you know that's just an example lydia isn't it about how it's changing you know particularly how you and i when we were at school it's so different you know now um david one more question um i was reading tonight um a prediction for the future that by 2020 some children may be traveling to school by themselves in self-driving cars what's your response to that I think it's unpredictable because different things will happen at different times and you never know when something's going to happen. But like in the 1900s early, you'd never imagine the internet, computers and all the things we have right now. Yeah. So it's impossible to see what will happen in the future. But it might happen and I would quite like coming to school in a self-driving car. 
because then I'd be able to do my homework and do research that I wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Yeah. And But you're losing a social part of travelling with other people, with family mm. uh, or with friends on a bus. Mm. David, thank you. Some wonderful answers. And it's great to have you in the studio. Thank you. So, um, Lydia, any more questions for these uh, educationalists or are we going to move on? Any last thoughts from, our, from Ed Balfour and David Bullock? Ed, any final thoughts for parents listening in? I just think education is an incredibly exciting thing and um, you're engaging on a, on a daily basis with young minds and, um, and keeping an eye on this phrase, the future flourishing of humanity. It's a real privilege to have young children who are uh, in, un, in our care and to be able to direct and, um, and to be able to steer and guide them towards successful futures. David. I think if people are out there and they're thinking as a parent maybe thinking about coming and becoming a teacher I'd encourage you to do it. I think if, if you've ever thought about being a teacher contact schools or your son goes to and says is it possible to come and have a look around spend some time I'd encourage people to, to join the profession it's a brilliant job um, and, and it needs brilliant people to do it. Fantastic. So David Bullock, Deputy Head of Verulam School and Ed Balfour, Headmaster at Beechwood Park. Thanks very much for joining us on The Parish Show. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Now, um, one word that came up this evening a couple of times is mindfulness. And so we're going to explore that topic a little bit more. And we have um, on the phone to join us now, we've got Rachel Brown. Rachel, uh, thanks for joining us on The Parent Show. Hi, lovely to be with you. So I don't know if you've heard our conversation, but mindfulness has come up in schools, has come up a couple of times. And Rachel, you're an independent clinical psychologist and you're also the founder of Rise and Shine. And yeah, that's, that's right. And that's a local company that provides mindfulness to parents. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Mindfulness courses and workshops to parents with children of all different ages. Tell us why, why you got into mindfulness and why parents? Well, I've been interested in mindfulness um, for, for a long while, really, since I um, taught in a um, Tibetan Buddhist monastery in Nepal. Um, and my, mindfulness is basically about bringing moment-to-moment, non-judgmental awareness to our everyday life. So it's about paying attention with acceptance to our everyday experiences as they happen. Um, so it's the opposite to um, automatic pilot, which is when we get stuck in our heads, thinking about the past or the future, worrying about things that have happened or haven't happened. And I think everyone can can sort of associate with that you know it's when you've gone round the roundabout and you can't remember doing it you know that's that's automatic pilot and mindfulness from my point of view is so important for parents and the reason why i've sort of focused on parents is because what the research shows us is that parents ability to be available and present with their children in those first few years of development is so important because it can lead to what's called a secure attachment which means that when when children feel safe they feel understood and then they can go out and explore and learn about the world and you know i think earlier when you were talking with ed and david you were talking about um for schools it's you know it's not just about conveying in information it's about creating that safe and nurturing environment so, so that's what I'm thinking about because that doesn't just start at five. So we're thinking about how that can start in the early, earliest years of children's life in, in that parenting concept context. So that's really why I created Rise and Shine so that parents have somewhere that they can explore how mindfulness can help them to be really present with their 
children and, 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 and so that there's a place for that to be really valued. And do, you, and do you also want parents to actually exercise or use mindfulness with their children too? Absolutely. I mean, I think parents have got to be um, role models for their children. So whilst mindfulness, you know, is so helpful because it can allow parents to manage their own stress and, you know, being a parent's rewarding, but it's really stressful as well. So mindfulness practices, if parents can engage in them regularly themselves, you know, the research shows us that it's so helpful for managing stress and you know we've been talking about you've been talking about well-being tonight and all of the research shows how useful mindfulness is for people's physical and mental well-being you know it actually changes people's brains which i think is pretty amazing actually um but you know modeling through our own behavior as parents for our children is is really the, the key so children can watch their parents negotiate life through using mindfulness, through being able to stop and tune into themselves and then react rather than respond. And, and parents can actually learn how to help their children do that from a really young age. So, you know, it's about building this, you know, the key skills of being able to regulate emotion and develop resilience to, to negotiate life. And um, Rachel, can if there's parents, if there are parents out there who have never had anything to do with mindfulness, don't understand it, could you give us an example or a technique or kind of uh, give us a concrete um, idea of how mindfulness manifests itself or how it how it is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I think you know a simple but really transformative way to bring mindfulness into family life especially you know during those times of challenge when things are feeling tricky it's just to learn how to just stop whatever you're doing so to notice you know those feelings of stress rising up in you and just to bring awareness to your to your breathing because the breath you know can really function as an anchor to bring you back into the present as a parent to help you tune in um, to a state of awareness and stillness and as we were talking about you know modeling for your children so starting with yourself simply bringing your attention to your breath as it comes into your body and as it goes out again and just noting to yourself how you feel in that moment and what's really important about sort of the noting is to take a curious stance towards yourself so just noticing what thoughts are there what, what's coming up for you and how you're feeling in your body and not following those thoughts sort of not getting tangled up in them but just notice them so just following your breath and keeping coming back to your breath even just doing that for one minute can be really grounding and change how you can respond to your children and if, if your children are quite young you can actually do this exercise you know whilst giving them a cuddle and you can just extend your awareness to their breathing too so you know what i do with rise and shine mindful parenting is help parents to learn mindfulness practices but learn how to extend them into their relationship with their children so they're bringing mindfulness um into understanding what their children's experience in that moment as well as their own and and if parents have children that are a bit older they can actually teach them how to do this as well how to focus on their breath and a really great way with with um children is to to talk to them about blowing up a balloon in their belly so you know as they're taking their breath in they're blowing up their balloon and they're focusing their attention on their balloon in their belly and it, it helps to take um kids out out of their heads you know away from all these worrying thoughts that we, we're so tempted into engaging with and and the 
blowing a balloon in your belly is really a great trick for children if they're struggling to get to sleep or they're worrying about something. Um, so it's a great thing for parents to use with children at night time. Just focusing on your balloon in your belly is really great at night time. That's such a great idea because I sometimes, you know, if I want to kind of calm my children down before they're going to bed, I say take deep breaths, but yes. blowing a balloon in your belly is definitely <laughs> going to work much better. Yes, much. it's a good visual, isn't it? It is a fantastic visual. And and so do you work with children of all ages, um, Rachel? Yes, so um, Rise and Shine, we offer um, mindfulness courses to parents um, with children of any age. So there's a course running at the moment that focuses on parents who are new parents. So they, you know, they've got young ba- babies up to about 14 months old. Um, but there's a course, um, a workshop, one day workshop on the 26th of June, which is for parents who've got children of, of any age. And it's called Basics and Beyond. So it's really about, um, you know, getting the the sort of foundational understanding of mindfulness but for people who've already got some ideas it's taking it further than that looking at how to really bring it into your everyday life lots of practical tools to take away and 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 soon we'll be looking at courses for teenagers as well that's coming up soon and how long does it take to embed the concept i mean can you learn it in a couple of weeks and do you have to keep learning it or or do you reach a finite point with it I think that's a really important question, actually, because, you know, you can talk so much about mindfulness and sort of learn it from an intellectual point of view, but it really does take take time, and, and it's about sort of implementing it within your life. Um, and it's, it's an experience, really, so, so it's something that has to be felt. You know, we can talk about it, but it's something that once people engage within it and make it part of their everyday routine, you, you understand it on a, on a different level a level that almost can't be expressed in words actually and i think sometimes where people get caught up is as parents as they think you know mindfulness means you have to sit down cross-legged for for half an hour you know which can be helpful but actually mindfulness for parents i think is about bringing it into your everyday routine so you know we talked about the breathing but it's about bringing mindfulness to eating bringing mindfulness to the school run bringing mindfulness to bedtime you know it's how can you actually drop into the present moment in all of those interactions with your children and i think that definitely takes time but you know a foundation can be built from the workshops that i run that you can then sort of go off and and make it your own fantastic rachel that's that's wonderful and we will be putting your contacts on our facebook page but could you just run through them for our listeners please of course um, so, so the web page is riseandshine.org and you can email me um, at hello.riseandshine at gmail.com and if, if anyone lets me know that they heard about Rise and Shine on the parents show then I'm happy to give a 10% discount to the basics and beyond course on the 26th of June so I'd, l- I'd love to hear from anybody any thoughts or comments Wonderful, oh that's great Rachel it's been a pleasure talking to you on the parents Thank show you. Thank All you the best me. Thanks, bye-bye. 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 So it's been a great show this evening talking about education from various perspectives with um, Ed Balfour, the headmaster at Beechwood Park, David Bullock, deputy head of Verulam School. And then we had David Hammond join us, who is a student at Beechwood Park. And last, uh, to round up the show, we had Dr. Rachel Brown, who is an independent clinical psychologist and the founder of Rise and Shine. So I hope you've enjoyed the show and join us next week. Neve solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution.